0: Welcome to the uh, Media Cat Magazine podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Pigger, editor at the magazine. Uh, and for today's pod, I've got two guests, uh, Laura Lee White and Ali Owen. Uh, Laura Lee is a speaker and uh, talent specialist, uh, equality, diversity, and inclusion champion, and the founder of Spectrum Speakers, and uh, one of the DOT's 100 black trailblazers redefining the industry in 2021, and shortlisted for the We Are The City Rising Star Award. Ali is the founder of uh, Brixton Finishing School, uh, Ad Academy and Visible Start. Uh, She's also one of Ad Age's uh, Women to Watch in Europe 2020 uh, and uh, recently, as as of this year, uh, Media Leaders Judge Choice Award 2022 and the Futures Female uh, Ad Week Europe 2022 uh, winner as well. Um, So welcome to both of you um, with those accolades.
1: Oh, thanks. Well, thank you.
0: I got I got all that right, right? All all of the, yeah. the various awards. Okay, good, good. Um, so
2: far, so far the year. So far this up. year.
0: Okay. <laughs> yes. So lots of lots of good awards, and you, you two are both killing it this year, um, which is uh, more than can be said for me. Um, but let's let's get on with chatting about stuff. So I want to find out. Um, what do you both do? Let, let's start there. It's probably quite a simple place to start, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Laurie, you founded Spectrum Spectrum about n- nine, ten months ago. And Ali and Finishing School was about five years ago now-ish, or five and a bit years ago. You know, what, what sort of led you both to de- the decision to sort of create your organisations? Because I kind of feel there's a bit of overlap with the way, you know, you looked at sort of a, a thing that was missing in the industry and decided to perhaps fix it yourself. Is that fair to
2: say? bang on yeah absolutely do you want do you want to go Ali and then
1: I'll go after you that was it I was waiting my turn very patiently there which is unusual for me to be honest because patience, I don't have a lot of it when it comes to change making thank you Laura Lee. so I spend my days change making uh Mike so Brixton Finishing School the Academy Invisible Start are engines of change for the uh media marketing and advertising industries we find talent from underrepresented communities Uh, we involve the industry in training them and we place them into roles within the industry thus changing um, and helping to resolve the diversity crisis that the community uh, communications industry has so that's essentially what I do in my day and that's how I met Laura Lee as well through that project
0: yeah, I was going to ask actually. Jumping ahead there, I suppose. How, how did how did you guys both meet? So you were you're on a project, and uh, what was the the first kind of meeting like between the two? Of you did you get on straight away. How did it work? <laughs>
2: well, I'll, I'll, I'll go I'll go back because that will that will lead on to to how we met. Um, so similarly to Ali, um, I saw that there was a real annoying gap um, in the speaker industry of you know, mostly sort of middle-aged, cisgendered white men um, only being booked to speak at events. And where there were diversity required, there it was only people from different backgrounds being wheeled out just to talk about diversity. So, you know, the gap really was, you know, where, where are the industry experts? Where are the people who are women, who are people of colour, who are disabled uh, who can you know who can talk about the same subjects be that finance data media communications and when spectrum was an idea I was looking for companies and people who aligned with my values and literally Ali was the first person that I reached out to and it and it went from there (laughs)
0: Sort of been a, a a whirlwind relationship, perhaps. I'm just I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing from from you know speaking to you two for a few minutes before we started recording.
1: I think there was huge amounts of serendipity. I mean, essentially what Laura Lee does is similar to us, but in a different sphere. Um, so I was really keen for us to support Spectrum. Uh, and its kind of emergence onto the speaking agency scene. And we were really blessed that we were running a program for 18 to 25s at the time who were all interested in brand building and launching brands. So Laura Lee set our young talents, a brief op for Spectrum speakers to come up with a brand identity. And that's kind of how we really started our relationship. So I'm really pleased to say that... Some of the Academy and Brixton Finishing School talents actually helped create the Spectrum brand look and feel. Um, yeah. And we got to know each other better then.
2: Yeah. Start. Well, more, more than helped. They totally created it. Um, yeah. It, it was amazing. All, all of the, the branding, the, the typeface that you see that we use at Spectrum was created by Brixton Finishing School students, which is fantastic. Sounds yeah. good.
0: I suppose, like reflecting on kind of you know the, the the time you guys have both been in your in your roles uh, as leaders, like, how, have you seen uh, you know since launching the businesses, have you seen much change in the industry? You know, what, what's stuff gotten better and stuff gotten worse at the same time? Um, what are your sort of broad thoughts there?
1: Well, five and a half years ago, when I set up Brixton, um, we were in a really different place as an industry. There was nothing like Brixton. There was no project that recognised that underrepresented talent was desired in the industry. And it was just like the speaking industry, uh, the marketing, media and communications industry is incredibly uh, public school, white and very heavily male at the top. So it was kind of groundbreaking when we launched it. I think we fought, number one, for people to recognise that that was talent, because they're so used to defining talent as a certain set of physical characteristics. I think now that that bit of the journey has, is further along, people recognize that talent can come in all different shapes and sizes and ways of thinking and age brackets. But there's lots of people who still don't value that. Um, secondly, when we started out, we started out with like about five partners. Now we've got 40. So that's incredibly positive. However, we are very much filling the bottom of the pyramid of the industry with talent. At the glacial top of the mountain, that snowy white mountain top of talent, it is still incredibly male. Well, 90, well, let's say 90% 90 white, probably more than that, 95% white. And I'd say that has been really, really slow to change. I would also say that the lockdown has seen a backswing in the FEM session, as they're calling it, where a lot of working mothers and those that are remote working have suffered a penalty compared to those who are able to get into an office. Generally, those that come into an office are those that present as white and male, because if you're from a group that suffers microaggressions or doesn't feel as comfortable in the working environment, Due to the culture, you tend to stay at home. So there's lots of kind of intersectionality of challenge. We're on a journey. We're not there. I don't think we can take off our eye eye off the ball for a minute. And I think there's a massive perception gap between those who are experiencing discrimination or bias and those who are within the power to change it. Generally, the surveys have shown, and Media Matters did a survey that came out last month that if you're white and particularly if you're male you think the diversity challenge is a lot more solved than it actually is whereas if you're say particularly female particularly a black female uh or or somebody who's non-white then you've got a very different view of your daily experiences and how how resolved that may be I'll pass on to Laura Lee on that if that's okay
2: It's interesting, actually. So we recently booked um, David Olisoga to speak at a advertising industry conference. Um, And he gave an opening keynote about this very thing that you said, Ali, um, you know, about diversity and inclusion being really present at the bottom of the pyramid, you know, on our TV screens, you know, advertising campaigns have, you know, filled our screens with people of colour, people who are disabled. However, you know, within kind of even middle management and above that there is no diversity at all you know and he even went as far as to say you know other industries that are you know kind of perceived to not be very diverse like the legal industry like the finance industries are actually even further along than the advertising and media industries which is really interesting and really eye-opening.
0: Do you think they just quietly get on with it in a way, whereas you know advertising, marketing, media they they always tend to always need to make a big song and dance and a big splash about everything. And I don't, I, I'm curious what the degree of, of, of you know they, those that are just the quiet pragmatists in, in business that just sort of say we should be doing these things and they do them versus. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Ali's Ali's shaking, shaking her head there. I, do. But... I mean,
1: do you know what? If people quietly got, got on with doing the change, I'd be out of work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there is no quietly doing the change. Every right or pro- piece of progress we've made has been hard fought for, whether that's, you know, the rights of women even to have equal pay in 1974 to the kind of conversations we're having now. It is very rare that somebody will just open the door and go, this is why we should be doing stuff. Now, huge amounts of money and energy are expended every year on talking about why this is. you should be doing it. And there seems to be the percentage of chatting about why you should do it versus the action of doing it seem to be incredibly weighted in the chatting bit. You know, we really should be much further down the line than we are considering you know, if you look at COVID, us all moving to work, to lockdown and how we switch our working patterns then, it proves that all of us are incredibly able to adopt a growth mindset when it comes to different ways of working and different principles. So if we just put that kind of effort into inclusion in the office stroke work environment, this would have been resolved a long time ago. But the status quo favours certain people. And I think we do have to be cognizant. Of why people would not want change.
0: Mm. I just I wanted to touch back on the um, we sort of half mentioned it a minute ago of kind of not exactly the great resignation, but which which we'll probably come on to, but the whole um people changing their working patterns with, with COVID or working from home versus coming back to the office and the kind of how those two things kind of interact with um, you know, representation and diversity. Like if everyone do you find do you find that that as that has come into play at all with you know um you know because if if people are sort of seen in the office kind of thing like it, it, I don't know is it more front of mind that changes within businesses are happening um you know is is it harder to, to create change if everybody's working remotely um, what those that come
1: into the the latest research has shown that those that come into the office are more likely to get higher bonuses and promotions compared to those that don't and obviously when you look at why somebody would prefer to work from home it is divided along whether you're a parent, where, where you live, if you can live centrally or afford to live in central London or not. Well, obviously, I realise this podcast is going out across the country. But generally, there's a, there is already a schism between people who are remote and aren't. And then in terms of making cultural change... I think everybody quite enjoyed working from home because they didn't have to put up with some of the behaviors they had to face in working environments. But that doesn't mean those behaviors don't still exist. Yeah. So I think um, I think hmm. as well there's a
2: massive power struggle with you know, the, the, the businesses and, and the people at the top within the recruitment process. Some friends of mine who run a recruitment agency said that recently they'd placed somebody in a role who had asked for, um, you know, cer- certain certain things for her, which were non- non-negotiables. And those were uh, three months working in another country because that's where her partner lives and three days a week working from home. Um, and they came back and they went, well, you can do two months a week. So you can do two months working remotely and two days working from home, and it and it really was just what is what is the difference really to your business if you're going to allow that much flex? Why does it come back to you know to, to that? And it and it is about it's about power and about not wanting to be in a position where you know it's it's the the market's there for people who are looking for jobs at the moment, and that's that's a real challenge.
1: Mm. Can I just say how petty that is, Laura Lee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, my, our team can work where they want and we're open to everything. And to be honest, that's why we get really good people. Yeah. I, I you know, the, the danger of presenteeism. That I think what's really interesting, those that succeed in corporate structures tend to be quite presenteeism minded because they've managed to survive by turning up so you've got these people at the top who are trying who have a kind of very um unbalanced view of what a good worker looks like and they're trying to inflict that on the whole working population where actually it should be about the results what comes out the end it's fascinating isn't it yeah
0: I'm I'm really hesitant to mention him because I'm not a fan, but like also uh, (laughs) his ability, particularly these days, to kind of get everybody either talking or arguing is quite interesting. But the unfortunate person I want to mention is uh, Elon Musk, uh, because he recently obviously said that Tesla employees need to all go back to the office. Um, And I think quite quickly afterwards, lost about 10% of the workforce when they handed in their resignation papers. And, and like we've got UK politicians, uh, the ones currently in power, saying similar types of things. And I'm just, I'm wondering if this is not really, well, I don't wonder, I know this is not really helping, right? Like it's not, it's not helping society and culture change and evolve post-pandemic or if we are post-pandemic. Um, I mean, it, 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 do you guys sort of struggle with this in, in terms of, you know, you're advising people one thing and then you see leaders in power and people sort of all saying the opposite? I, I guess this is nothing new, right?
1: I mean, for me, the example of it was Jacob Rees-Mogg saying everybody should come back. You know, we're in austerity measures and the the government apparently is broke. Surely if we allowed flexible working and reduced the number of government buildings required, we would be making a massive taxpayer saving. I'm also not convinced that Jacob Rees-Mogg comes into the office every day. I'd like him to prove me wrong, but he seems to be, you know... He doesn't I'm sure there's a country estate he's reporting in from most days. And Elon Musk's example, yeah, he immediately lost one in ten of his workers. You know, if you're a tech company or you're you're a spec, you know, something as as amazing as Tesla, you're in really high competition for the best minds in the world. If you don't let that best mind do what they want, like Laura Lee's example, then they're just going to go elsewhere and you're going to lose your advantage especially when you're in that kind of invention, innovation zone, you should really just be going, how can I keep the best people? How can I make sure they want to choose me over somebody else?
0: Well, isn't that isn't that a bit of a, a struggle generally right now? Like, um, obviously, if people are working from home it has lots of benefits, but there, there are also perhaps some drawbacks these days to feeling a bit less connected to your team. And like, how do you how do you sort of um, how do you know business leaders kind of hang on to their teams and sort of keep keep talent and stuff? Like, is is that harder these days, or or, or do you think actually it's, it's no different?
2: I think the challenge is that everyone's trying to create this one size fits all box structure that works for everybody. And that's not possible. You know what's come out of this is highlight. This has highlighted what all of our differences are, what all of our individual needs are. Um, For some people, they can't work from home. They haven't got the means or the space, or they don't want to. Likewise, there are are some people who you know who don't want to travel into work. The thought of travelling into London now just makes me feel ick. And employers need to need to just get rid of the old structures they just need to create a totally flexible and hybrid working structure that works for for everybody you know they need to ask their employees what they want rather than tell everyone what they want and create and build the structure in and around that the, the culture can be built in an office it can be built on zoom the culture is embedded in in what you do and not where you are.
0: I mean, I, I suppose I was going to say like, how, how does that sort of flow onto the kind of the future of work in general? Like, how do you both sort of see that evolving? Um, are there sort of certain directions that you think are good to perhaps head towards or things that leaders could be thinking about?
1: I agree with Laura Lee. I think the future, if you want to keep the best talent, will be about how you create bespoke packages that suit that talent for example I'm sat in the office today everybody else is at home do you know what I prefer that why because I'm a socially sociable introvert I like some human contact but my god not every day thanks people yeah and also some of my younger people now have moved out of London why because they can actually afford to live do I you know Why why would I risk losing their service and loyalty by forcing them into a train that's just going to rob them every day of their transport money? Um, For me, the future of work is very much about actually putting your your talent first rather than your perceptions of what power and control look like. Um, So we are incredibly flexible at Brixton. Um, We haven't lost people through covid you know people have moved on to much better paid jobs but that's because we're a charity but we offer complete flexibility whether that's offering a four-day week we promote from within we you know you can work from where you want you don't have to work any overtime you can do your hours when you want so there's obviously some crossover where we have times when we all catch up but I am an early bird. I love getting up at six in the morning, latest. And if I start work at seven, that works for me. Am I going to enforce that on anybody else? No. I've got a lovely young lady I work with, comes online about 11. Yeah. That's absolutely fine because I know she'll power through till eight and that's when she works. So we've even thought about circadian rhythms. So I think that kind of stuff means it's not necessarily about the salary. Yeah. We're an agile social impact project but it is about the fact you can have your life around doing something you love and I think for me that is what the future of work should be you know people who are doing something they're passionate about or like doing in a way that suits them because the more happier somebody is or the more content somebody is it's been shown the more productive they are as well so it's not entirely altruistic
0: yeah that makes sense uh Laura Lee what your thoughts
2: Exactly the same, really. Um, you know, the the future of work is about it's about inclusion, it's about sustainability, and it's about culture and collaboration. Anything kind of outside of that just just doesn't it doesn't work. It doesn't work for us anymore. Um, you know, as as terrible and upsetting as COVID was, you know, physically for so many people it's just kind of brought to light a way of existing that didn't work for so many people. Um, it, it's almost like a black cloud has been lifted and, and people are trying to trying to bring the rain back on again. And it's just not, it, it's not, we can't go back.
0: We talked earlier about kind of things that sort of, uh, you know, potentially not working with, you know, sort of leaders saying, go back to the office, et cetera. I, I, I wanted to briefly touch on types of washing, let's call them inclusion washing, diversity washing all the washing all the laundry essentially uh, that's going on um at the moment i wondered to what extent you, you both sort of think that is is that getting worse I, I imagine we're seeing quite a lot of pride washing at the month uh, at the moment this month with pride month um let's slap a rainbow on it and that'll do you know I, I i'm curious have you guys seen a trend in terms of you know brands and businesses actually taking inclusion and diversity sort of seriously in the last like, year or two or do you still batting heads against uh, against people trying to box tick, essentially? Uh, what are the sort of trends we're sort of seeing, if any?
1: I'm going to put my industry into thirds, if that's okay. Sure. So there's a third of the industry that are doing it, and they're doing it because they know it's good for business and the right thing to do, and they actually are on a journey that they are long, long-term long committed to. They're not just doing a quick wash yeah, and a spin, They are actually going to go for it. Then there's a third of my industry that haven't really started that journey yet that may be dabbling in some stuff, being a bit performative in what they do. We do an annual um, survey of our talents. We're very lucky uh, that we're one of the few places that can survey diverse 18 to 25-year-olds in the comms industry across the industry. And 60% think most things are performative, that the actual people doing it are doing it for that kind of black square on the Instagram rather than actually for real. And then the last third is just, you know, they are just not in it at all. But in a way, that's absolutely fine because talent does not have to go there. Obviously, I'm not saying it's fine from the social justice point of view. But the reality is, if we know the more diverse your company is, the better it's going to do. And, we, and people who are from different backgrounds, are going to power that company to success. Thank God they're not going to companies that aren't believing in it, yeah? Because if they're the secret to these companies' future success, then let's just starve that last third, the third that doesn't believe in this stuff, that is deliberately not doing it, or pretend to do a bit, but actually that's just a smokescreen. In the end, they're not going to be able to produce the work they need to do. To actually, win clients and accounts, ad agencies, especially you know, advertising brands need to speak to all consumers. And if you're unable to include all types of people within your organization, your output's going to be pretty crap to use a very technical term there. So, yeah, yeah. I'd say mixed bag could do better. Yeah,
2: makes sense. I normally. would agree. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that as well. You know, I've seen some really, really great examples, um, you know, recently. We worked on the Microsoft Envision Festival. And uh, from us from Spectrum, they they hired a, a deaf DJ to show that, you know, that people who are deaf can enjoy music. Um, and the, the DJ that I work with, he was like, well, you know, what why why are they doing this? Do they have lots of uh, you know, deaf attendees? Um, and as far as as far as they were aware, I think they maybe had one, but that's not why they were doing it. They were doing it because inclusion benefits everybody. You should do it whether or not you need to because, you know, as a deaf person, as a disabled person, you should be able to turn up to any event and know that you are being accommodated rather than have to announce yourself in advance so that that's a really great example of you know a company that is doing inclusion because it's the right thing to do they're not shouting about it they're they're just doing it Um, on the other hand one of the speakers who i work with she recently was um she's a muslim um, and she was recently approached to do a talk for um a well-known oil and gas company for ramadan Um, because they wanted to engage more of their um, Muslim employees. However, they asked her to do it for free as part of her charitable giving for Ramadan, if you can believe that. Because those guys
0: have have tight tight budgets, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I'm (laughs) outraged. Sorry, can I interject with just some (laughs) outrage? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every, everything about that just smells to high heaven, doesn't it? Yeah. Wow.
2: Absolutely yeah. no real integrity there.
1: What oil and gas company without any integrity? I don't know what. To I, know. I know. I mean, I, I, I
0: suppose. I suppose. Interestingly, so sort of, is there any advice that you guys can give when you sort of come up against these kind of companies? Like, do you still work with them? I mean, do you educate them, or are you just like they are a lost cause? you know do we move on or do we just do a bit of work for them but actually we're not really we prefer to put our you know time and our efforts into those that at least slightly get it that we can help rather than those that are just too far gone shall we say down the down the wrong 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 path I mean is that how it, I don't know what are your thoughts there
2: I think look we all we all have to start somewhere and some people are starting at the very bottom um, and that's okay because, you know, if if you want to move upwards, you just need to hold your hands up and say, look, I want to do this. I don't know where to start. I really don't know. I don't know if what I'm asking is OK, if it's not OK. Um, and I'm always open and willing to help those those people, um, you know, because they they've put themselves out there. They've shown their vulnerability and their lack of knowledge and education. You know, you, you can you can build on that. You can work from that. But you know, companies like the latter that I mentioned, who you know, us, who have said that they're, they, you know, they're, they're trying to create an inclusion piece, but on this, in the same hand, you know, they're, they're like asking people to work for free and asking people to give their time and you know, and knowledge for free. That's that's not okay, Um, and I'm very comfortable saying that that's not okay, and that's not how we work. more often than not, they will just go out and find somebody else who does say that it's okay. But as Ali said, you know, they'll they will they'll die out with the dinosaurs eventually. I'm just going
1: to chime in on that. So I grew up in the 1970s, which is an incredibly sexist, racist, colonial, um, everything is decade. And if I can deprogram myself to where I am now... And be open to growth and open to learning and open to hearing uncomfortable truths and developing myself. And I truly believe it's possible for anybody else as well to do that, especially anybody who was less 1970 than me, maybe somebody from the 80s. So there's always hope. And I always think if somebody, back to what Laura Lee said, somebody's willing to start. Oh my God, thank God you're willing to start because that's the first step. You know, none of us on this journey every every day nobody's ever got this far in society changing stuff as as we have today we've got to do the work every day we've always got to put it in and the more people we can bring on side the more people who start to believe that actually you know taking care of all our citizens and giving everybody an opportunity and actually leveling up is a good thing the better yeah and i think that's what's great thing about this work is it is about the individual as well as about the big corporation. It is mostly, if you think about it, me and Laura Lee are just individuals who set out to make a change. And now we're actually able to bring together a whole alliance of people with us. Um, so, yeah, you're much more powerful than you think you are as a single person. And that's a really lovely place to be. So take that first step. Definitely.
0: That does, does does feel like a, a sort of a more inspirational uh, place to kind of round off the conversation because I, I know we're we're running out of time. So I I just thought actually uh, on that on that note to sort of close off I, I thought we could maybe um uh, maybe maybe do a plug of sorts but but kind of finish with a bit of inspiration essentially. So uh, you know talking about the people that you work with or, or you know speakers on your on your roster you might want to mention you know people that you could showcase and say you know that these are some of the people we have maybe we could pick a couple uh so I wonder Laura Lee do you, do you fancy uh picking a few speakers from your, your your roster of uh ones you'd like to point out or showcase I know it's hard to you know no favoritism or anything but
2: yeah well I mean I don't know if anyone's heard of uh, this speaker called Ali <laughs> Ali Ali I mean look,
0: I... but Ali 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 so, so <laughs> Ali so they, Ali Ali they named her twice right
2: <laughs> absolutely yeah. that's it but, um, you know, look, honestly, I mean, it, go, it goes without saying, Ali speaks, speaks with herself, you know, on the the future of work, the future of women, the future of diversity, the future of talent. You know, there's she's just a wealth of information and stats. You have so many stats, Ali. <laughs> I
1: love a stat, laurelly Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can do story and data.
0: And yes, award-winning, absolutely.
1: like
2: you know, absolutely. Go, absolutely. Big, big stack of awards <laughs> this year. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, in, in addition to Ali, I mean, look, we, we have some amazing speakers across a real breadth of verticals. And um, one of our new speakers, I will um, I will talk about. Her name is Ramat Tajani, um, and she's awesome. Um, she talks a lot about um, the the tech industry and kind of building your profile um, and career within tech. But she also works with leaders on their well-being, which I think is something that's really, really overlooked. You know, we talk a lot about um, employee well-being and, you know, and as we were talking about kind of creating cultures to, you know, to, to for employees to thrive. But, you know, very rarely do people focus on leaders. And I think as leaders, you know, we we kind of we we burn the candle. We work really hard. We do all of the work to make sure that everyone else is OK. Um, but my mum always used to say to me, you can't pour from an empty cup. So, you know, I think leaders, we really, really, really do need to look at our own well-being um, and how how we kind of replenish ourselves um, to be better leaders all the time.
0: And it can be lonely at the top sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. You know, all of that sort of stuff. Definitely. Um, that's good. That's good. Um, a- any more to mention or is that are we? is that is that i
2: mean i I could i could be here all day definitely i mean i would just say have a look at our website we have so many incredible speakers
0: we'll put it we'll put a link in the show notes uh that we send out with the podcasts as well so ali any any people that have you know come come through your school uh, that you'd you'd like to sort of highlight or anything you want out of the hundreds
1: so sorry was not it there uh (laughs) so i'm very blessed to have some incredible alumni Um, It is going to be a different choice, but I'm going to do three different shout outs, obviously to my team, because I get high on my own supply. So Brixton Finishing School is about 30 percent graduates from my projects and brilliant they are. Um, We are also our alumni are also award winning. So uh, Freena Taylor, who's a research executive at Mel Metro Media. Um, has been she's nominees for two awards this year in the research category including rising stars we've won a dnad pencil uh, which is abina and layla who are standout black creative duo which is incredibly important as laura lee referred to at the beginning it may look on ca- When you're looking who, at who's on camera, it looks really diverse behind the camera, or even when you move further up that money tree and that kind of supply line, it does get whiter and whiter. And lastly, I want to do a little shout out to Priscilla Britton, who actually does our podcast, Mike, bit of podcast to podcast love, hashtag NSQ, no stupid questions. Which, if you go on Spotify or Apple and look for NSQ and the Ad Academy or Bricks and Finishing School, she interviews industry leaders from a young person's point of view. And there are no stupid questions. So that's my little roundup of shout outs. Thank you.
0: Amazing stuff. Uh, yeah, we can put a, a link in the show notes to that as well. That sounds very cool. Yeah, no, great conversation. And um, yes, we are we are out of time. And um, I, I started thinking about questions around well-being of leaders. And I was like, actually, that's a whole nother podcast. So we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll do that another time. But uh, yeah, for now, I just want to say thank you so much to uh, both of you for coming on the uh, Media Cat Magazine podcast.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank you so much.